Hey guys, let's review shock. There are a lot of different types of shock that we talked about in class, and by class I mean the recorded lecture that I did. Um, so I want to mostly review causes of each type of shock, signs and symptoms that you would expect to see in each type of shock, and um, maybe some lab values that you might see um, things that we did not necessarily hit on, but that I want you to know for the exam for sure. Um, and then finally, I really, really want to spend some time talking about some major nursing priorities for certain types of shock, just this, you know, really specific, um, ones. And then finally, we'll go over the different signs and symptoms that you might see with each stage of shock. And so let's get started with cardiogenic shock. We talked about this, but um, the different causes of cardiogenic shock are things like acute decompensation, heart failure, dysrhythmias. Um, acute myocardial infarction is a huge major reason people go into systolic heart failure and um, subsequently systolic cardiogenic shock. Now, remember that the result of cardiogenic shock is that the, the heart cannot pump blood out to the tissues and so um, or do that effectively and so cardiac output is decreased and subsequently oxygen is not well delivered to the tissues and not enough oxygen is is getting out to the tissues and so there's an anaerobic shift so those are the causes the signs and symptoms that you would expect are things like low cardiac output as evidenced by low blood pressure. You might see, um, you know, your typical compensatory stage of shock followed by your refractory stage. Um, and that's probably about as much as I want you to really focus on um, in terms of like causes and signs and symptoms, just because the signs and symptoms are not necessarily super specific. They're more specific to what the cause is. And so if it's like an acute myocardial infarction that's causing cardiogenic shock, they're going to have that chest pain. They're going to have, you know, that's uncontrolled by nitroglycerin and then increased heart rate followed by decreased heart rate, increased blood pressure followed by decreased blood pressure. And then in that situation, you might also see your typical labs that are associated with your cause. For instance, if it's an acute myocardial infarction, you would definitely see those elevated troponins and other cardiac biomarkers. Bio um, what about, let's move on to hypovolemic shock. So we said hypovolemic shock could be absolute or relative. Absolute meaning you are losing actual blood from your intravascular space. And relative hypovolemic shock being you're losing fluid from your intravascular space so much so that in either situation you're not getting adequate perfusion to the tissues. Signs and symptoms of this are going to be consistent with decreased perfusion to the tissues and so um, one of the major ones that I always think of is like your decreased um, urine output and um, let's see decreased urine output, thready absent pulses, that's a really, really good one. And then um, like your decreased pulmonary artery wedge pressure is another really good one. Um, labs, especially in hypovolemic shock, you might see decreased red blood cells, decreased hemoglobin and hematocrit. 
Um, and beyond that, and that would be like if you're losing actual blood, then it makes sense that your hemoglobin and hematocrit and red blood cell count is all going to be low. Um, so make sure you have a good understanding of that. Um, in terms of septic shock, remember that anything that could cause an infection, the infection can then spread to the blood. And when the it does spread to the blood, especially like the systemic circulation, then we're talking about sepsis. Sepsis is a phenomenon that causes massive vasodilation all over the body. Because of increased capillary permeability, fluid moves out of the intravascular space into the interstitial space. And in this situation, a major, um, major causes of sepsis or urosepsis, UTI, um, you know, uh, unsterile procedures, um, any kind of, you know, surgical infection or things like that are high risk for, um, shock or septic shock, sepsis. And, um, one of the hallmark labs that you're going to see in septic shock, of course, is some kind of um, pathogenic growth in the blood, whether it be bacterial, fungal, you know, et cetera. And then you're also a hallmark lab that you're going to see in septic shock is elevated lactate. That is a huge, huge, huge indicator that we are actually dealing with septic shock over the other types of shock. Remember that in um, neurogenic shock, you are going to be giving, uh, you're going to be supporting the nervous system, especially the central nervous system, as this is almost always secondary to spinal cord injury and sometimes spinal anesthesia. In neurogenic shock, you're really going to see um, that massive vasodilation that's going to drop the blood pressure and um, subsequently cause a lot of um, issues with like urine output. Um, and then you're also going to have issues with like, per, you know, general perfusion issues that's going to cause the poikilothermia or where your body becomes the same temperature as the room that it is in. Um, and so again, causes of neurogenic shock, spinal anesthesia, spinal cord injuries, and, um, there's really beyond that, uh, in terms of signs and symptoms, you're just thinking, Things that are consistent with spinal cord injury, um, like total paralysis, GI dysfunction, GU dysfunction, things like that. Um, and then an anaphylactic shock, that is where you have that antigen antibody complex form, and that causes and triggers some increased capillary permeability most of the time um, in your upper airways where you have um, strider forming uh You've got an enlarged tongue or swelling or edema, angioedema, sorry, of your like eyes, lips, and tongue. And then that actually causes a lot of strider. Now, remember that uh, anytime you're suspecting anaphylaxis, the hallmark treatment of anaphylaxis is intramuscular epinephrine. And EpiPens come in a dose of two so that you give one dose and then call 911, and then you give the second dose while you're waiting for the ambulance to arrive since um, that can really, the epinephrine can wear off and the anaphylaxis can return by the time um, that first dose, or really quickly after the first dose is given. Um, 
some other things to talk about are just like, what are the high priorities for this stuff? So anytime you're suspecting sepsis, we really want to focus on the sepsis bundle or some people call it the sepsis six. And the first step in the sepsis bundle is to culture the blood and send it. That is the number one priority. And that really goes, in my opinion, against those ABCs. And that's because um, we can't really treat the sepsis effectively until we've sent those cultures off. We really need to give um, the best antibiotic that they, uh, you know, that is sensitive to, sorry, the best antibiotic for the patient um, based on the sensitivity of that culture. And then we're going to really focus on giving like fluid challenges. We're going to be giving um, lots of IV fluids and we're going to be looking at that lactate and we're going to be starting IV antibiotics ASAP. But the number one priority is always going to be sending those blood cultures. And in hypovolemic shock, always remember, number one, it's kind of based off of if it's absolute or relative. But just kind of think about um, you don't have enough fluid in the vasculature, whether you need blood or whether you need fluid fluid. Um, typically what they're going to start with is warm crystalloid IV fluid. And so you're going to be giving lots of that. And since you are giving a lot of IV fluid in this situation, it really does need to be um, warm. And so make sure that that's happening. Make sure that you're administering those warm fluids to prevent anaphylaxis. After you do that, another really high priority is just monitoring the patient for massive amounts of anemia or really severe anemia um, by looking at the red blood cell and H&H and then um, giving blood products if needed or sometimes if it's that third spacing issue, they may need albumin to pull fluid back into the vasculature by increasing the oncotic pressure inside the vasculature. Um, Okay, and let's see here want to go over those compensatory stages of shock, remember that in the compensatory stage, you're really going to be seeing like a awake and alert patient, but someone who's restless, confused, you can tell that they're not getting enough oxygen, but they haven't become unconscious or even have decreased experience, decreased levels of consciousness. They're having that increased heart rate and contractility because their body's releasing epinephrine in response to the low um, oxygen to the tissues. And then um, blood is really, really shunted to the heart and to the brain to preserve the vital organ function. In this, um, in compensatory stage, again, you're having that activation of the SNS. And so anytime you have the activation of the SNS, it's really going to tell your GI system to slow down, kind of shut down to and shunt the most of the blood towards more vital organs in the GI system. You may also have a decrease in blood supply to the kidneys, and that's going to result in less urine. However, your kidneys are still able to function and still getting enough blood flow to preserve the overall function of the kidneys. In this situation, liver is okay. The liver actually needs very little um, oxygen and uh, it has only one, you know, or it doesn't have much arterial blood flow. And so the liver is just fine in the compensatory stage. 
Um, however, once you move into the progressive stage where we have not corrected the cause of the shock, you're actually going to start having the um, decline of the compensatory mechanisms that results in decreased perfusion to all of the tissues, including the heart, the GI, the GU system, and the hepatic um, system. This is where you're going to see a lot of tissue ischemia happening. However, remember that in most cases, ischemia is reversible. And so even at this stage, if we reverse the issue, uh, correct the issue, and restore adequate perfusion, then you are going to be able to preserve the GI, the kidneys, um, and the liver at this point. Um, at this point in the progressive stage, you're really going to start seeing decreased um, blood flow to the brain. And that is really important because your brain needs a constant, continuous supply of oxygen and glucose in order to not become infarcted and die. And so this is where you're going to see some decrease in level of consciousness. And again, finally, um, you're going to start losing that ability for epinephrine to continue to be released and to be um, taken up and effective. And so this is where you're going to see your heart start decreasing the respiratory rate and you're going to see your blood pressure start decreasing as well. And then finally, in the refractory phase, the patient becomes unresponsive. Their brain is not getting enough oxygen. It's not getting enough glucose. The heart becomes dysfunctional because it is not getting adequate perfusion. You go into respiratory failure, which is progressed from just ARDS and because of increased capillary permeability. Um, you, the ischemia has not become uh, reversed, and so you're going to start getting an ischemic gut. Uh, your urinary system, the kidneys have not gotten enough perfusion for a while and are going to start becoming dysfunctional. And so you'll see anuria, <clears throat> not because of the poor perfusion at this point, but because you actually have some loss of function of the kidneys. And then you're also going to experience some liver failure, and that will um, get progressively worse over a few days until it becomes more and more obvious. Okay, that is about all I want to review with you on shock. I really don't want you to get too far down into the weeds on shock. Um, know the uh, you know stages of shock. I would certainly, certainly review table 66.9 on page 1580 of Lewis. And besides that, I would really focus on knowing signs and symptoms, causes, um, of each type of shocks and symptoms of each type of shock, lab values that you might see, and then really focus a lot of attention on priority nursing interventions for different types of shock. And remember that not every type of shock is going to have an obvious um, high priority nursing intervention, especially if we're just supporting life and um, you know monitoring them in a critical care environment. Um, please let me know if you have any questions and thanks so much for listening to these podcasts. Have a great day.